Hey fam, how is life? Hope you're doing great. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am Dylan Bowman, and today I'm joined by one of my great friends and personal sporting heroes. Hillary Allen returns for her second appearance on the program to talk about everything that's happening in her life right now. The Hilly Goat, one of the great nicknames in all of sports, she is back. And as some of you will know, Hillary, like myself, has moved on to a new sponsor, which is the main topic of our conversation today. After being one of the top performers in the world over the last several years and overcoming more adversity than probably any athlete I know, Hillary is taking the next step in her career and starting a new chapter with Brooks, the Seattle-based footwear and apparel brand that I'm sure you're all familiar with. We talk all about what it went into this decision for Hillary, the strategy and commitment Brooks is applying to the trail category, and how the brand aligns with her personal values and philosophy as it relates to trail running. I think these are important and interesting conversations to have in public so that you all can understand and uh, appreciate the mindset of the pro athletes in our sport and just how hard and often scary it can be to make these big changes in our careers. Of course, uh, aside from all the sponsorship talk, we also went deep on Hillary's huge victory at the Madeira Island Ultra Trail back in November, a convincing 40 minute win in a very competitive field and probably one of Hillary's best performances ever. And then we finished up our conversation just talking about the future. What is next for the Hilly Goat? Quick reminder, Hillary is also the co-host of the Trail Society podcast alongside Corinne Malcolm and Keely Henninger. New episode went up yesterday, as it does every other Tuesday, where they discuss some of the biggest, most important, and often most challenging subjects in the sport. So if you don't already, go subscribe and listen to their show. It is one of my favorites, and we are very proud to have them part of the Free Trail Media Network. Finally, a big thanks to Speedland, the presenting sponsor of the Free Trail Podcast. We're super grateful for their support, and I am always impressed by the small team and what they're able to accomplish. Simply amazing products. Go visit runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL15, capital F, FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchase of the SLPDX, simply the highest quality trail shoe ever made. We also just put up a YouTube video where we did a bit of a deep dive on the SLPDX. So if you want to learn a little bit more about the shoe, go check out the Free Trail YouTube channel where we have a new video up. Okay. Thanks everyone for being here. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Hillary Allen. See you in the outro. The great Hilly Goat. Welcome back to the podcast. What's oh, up? I'm so thrilled to be here. It's been a long time. I remember like last time we recorded was in Boulder. Dude, remember that? We were at my dad's house yes. in downtown Boulder. I had this just is... finished TDS. I was like, I had bailed in a run with you that morning. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And also then I held that episode, I think for like months on end, because I just still couldn't get my lazy ass motivated enough to get the podcast up and running. So we recorded and then I think I didn't release it for like another six months or something like that, but you're back for your second appearance on the podcast. And we are talking about big news. We are announcing big news from you, but before we get to that, where the hell are you? Are you in Boulder right now? I'm in Boulder. Actually, it's so crazy. It's like an ice rink outside. I had a long run this morning and I had to like work traction the entire time. And literally the scariest part of the run was running home on the roads. Everyone was sliding around. <laughs> it was like, so it feels a little bit strange, but I'm in Boulder. <laughs> I thought you were like going to New Mexico for some training camp or something. Did you bail on that? Uh, I was in New Mexico before the new year. Um, but I'm probably going to go down to the desert here in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. first, actually I've got, I'm going to, um, Salt Lake city for running up for air. I'm doing some laps of grandeur oh, peak cool. with Jared Campbell. So <laughs> awesome. Well, happy new year. It's, it's great to see you as always. And, uh, yeah, you and I have sort of 
been through the ringer recently. We have gone through a lot of changes in our professional lives as athletes and human beings. And you have a fun announcement to make. And so I wanted to sort of help you do that. And we're obviously not going to talk too much about the past in this conversation. We're going to focus mostly on the future um, and what you hope to do with your new sponsor. So with that being said, I want to open the floor to you to sort of make whatever announcement you feel is most appropriate given whatever you can reveal at this particular moment in time. Wait, Dylan, can I say it outright? Yes, please. (laughs) Oh man. Um, so I've been like holding in this news for so long. Um, so I'm so thrilled. I'm actually going to be running for Brooks, uh, for this year and several years to come. So I'm beyond excited. I can't think of a, of a better brand to partner with. Um, and yeah, I mean, first of all, their motto is run happy. Sometimes people don't like it, but I think that like epitomizes me so much. It so epitomizes you. It fits perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's almost, it almost feels like I'm coming full circle. Um, I mean, I had to dig back in, uh, some photos and I need to dig back and hopefully find it and send it to you. But my first ever road marathon was in a pair of Brooks shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, obviously they're huge in road, but they're making a huge like jump onto the trails. And so I feel really excited about the direction that they're going, the team that they're building. And, um, I mean, ironically, uh, I mean, it's, it's no stranger that, you know, when, when we were running for the North face, we didn't always have to run in North face shoes. And actually yeah. I remember setting the speed goat, um, 50 K record, uh, in a pair of Brooks pure grit. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> so maybe it was meant to be, but, um, no, I'm just, I'm so thrilled the, and I mean, obviously not just because, um, I feel like the brand represents me well, and I can represent them well. I'm excited for to showcase what they can do on trails, these shoes. And then the team that they have, the team of scientists that they have, you know, working on, on footwear and just uh, like as part of this company in general, I'm so thrilled because I mean, that's me, that's me at my core. I'm just such a science nerd. So feeling like I can geek out with the best of them. (laughs) You know, it's funny as you say that you're coming full circle in your career too. It's sort of, also feels like Brooks is coming full circle too, where, you know, they were one of the first or early major sponsors in their support of Scott Jurek, of course, the legendary seven-time Western States champion and somebody who certainly inspired everybody of my generation and who is still an iconic person in the trail and ultra community. And then I think, you know, they sort of pivoted and focused mostly on road and track running. And of course they've got a number of phenomenal athletes on that side of the sport as well. But as you just mentioned, they are making a very concerted and uh, intentional investment into trail running. Uh, Can you talk at all about that? Sort of like what it was like as you engaged Brooks um, and sort of anything that you can reveal about their position or their investment and their overall attitude towards the trail side of running? Yeah. So, I mean, so this this one thing that stands out to me is this guy, Brian Bark. Um, Brian, he's, he's amazing, right? Like he, (laughs) he's one of the, you know, the, one of the shoe developers, um, at Brooks and I, I met Brian, um, kind of when I was in the middle of this kind of like foot injury and I was trying to find something that was going to help me. And, you know, just this from Brian, he was just so eager to help, but also just had this genuine interest in, in footwear and shoes in what worked for different people. And I think, um, that is a huge example of, I think the community of the people that work at Brooks. And on top of that, Brian is also an accomplished ultra runner in, 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 in you know, in his own right, he raced TDS, um, last year and, you know, in a pair of Brooks prototype shoes. And so it's, it's been cool to, you know, to talk to him about that, but then also get a taste for, I think what Brooks stand for and, you know, their investment in, in trail. And I think really to to how I see it, I mean, running is running, right? If, if a company is good at developing footwear on the road, 
I mean, there's only a couple of tweaks that need to be made. And I think they see that and they see trail as an opportunity for growth and to kind of spread this, this, you know, basically the love for, you know, this run happy, um, like yeah. what, what better way to do that than a bunch of trail runners who just want to, who are smiling all the time. It's like a great point. In the, the brand <laughs> and the, and the run happy tagline mm-hmm. is a phenomenal fit with the trail category. Yeah. You know, potentially even more so than it is on the road and track side of the sport. In my opinion too, because uh, I'm never smiling during a road marathon. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but you're always smiling in your ultra marathon. Yeah. In, so in your everyday life. Exactly. And so I think that, I think, you know, they're in, like, the running is at their core. And so I think trail is just another kind of solid branch for them to go into. And they already have a lot of experience and, you know, now as far as investments, you know, now Brooks has, you know, three, uh, three pairs of three different trail shoes and they're not just like a, you know, a blanket, okay, here's three different ones. Like they're, they're like tools, like they're, okay, I'm going to wear this shoe for my fast technical running. I'm going to wear this shoe for my longer runs. And I'm going to wear this shoe for like, you know, muddy mountainous, like lots of vertical gain. And so I feel like Mark, the developer of those shoes. Um, I, uh, I believe so. Yeah. He's one of, and I don't know his official title title. So apologies I'm learning, (laughs) but all I just know is that he's an OG and he's, he, he's the one that's involved in a lot of the testing and development of new, new prototypes. And yeah. Yeah. I don't know him super well personally, but from what I heard, I've met him and know him loosely. And from what I've heard, he's a phenomenally talented, footwear person who I think was responsible for that new catamount shoe, which everybody seems to love. So, I mean, I guess you can shout out your new sponsors products. You mentioned they've got three different trail shoes. Do you want to sort of call right. them out by name and, and how you use them for specific applications, as you just mentioned? Definitely. So um, the catamount, as you just mentioned, they've been having some really cool iterations of, of this shoe. Um, and so I actually had the pleasure of, you know, doing a lot of training miles in, in these, because as I was recovering from my foot injury this year, there was only a few shoes that would actually work. Um, and so the catamount, I, I like to... Um, I mean, at the Broken Arrow Sky Race, actually, I raced the all three distances in the Catamount because it's, I feel like, a very quick shoe, even from like, you know, a vertical kilometer um, to like a really fast 26K. Um, yeah. I would like to do my speed workouts in these shoes. Um, the next one, and I think there's a lot of uh, excitement about this one is the Caldera. Um, this is more of like a, a high cushioned, like very, um, responsive shoe, um, for, and like a comfy shoe for those longer miles. Um, and I mean, you know, I've, I've worn it on some pretty burly terrain and it was, it was fine for me. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and then of course the OG is the Cascadia. And Cascadia. <laughs> Shout out Scott Jurek. (laughs) Exactly. I know. And you're mentioning Scott, like this is, and this is also, I think this more, again, this is another example of Brooke's commitment to trail. Scott Jurek, in my opinion, is one of the best ultra runners of all time. And not controversial, no brainer. Yeah. Thank you. No, no brainer. And like, you know, and he's been with Brooks from the very beginning. And I think that that says a lot. Yeah, no doubt. So I think people would be kind of interested to hear about the process that's behind these sorts of considerations and the process that's behind the communication that leads to the ultimate engagement between brand and athlete. Is there anything there that you think is interesting about how you and Brooks came to be connected and started communicating and what you saw in them that you felt was a, a good reflection of you, maybe beyond this run happy philosophy and anything about the human side of the negotiation and the relationships with the people there that made you feel comfortable committing the next several years of your career to this brand? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a huge step, right? It's a, it's a pretty pivotal moment. And it's, it's scary, dude. It's <laughs> super so scary. scary. As we were just talking about before we hit record. Literally. Gosh. It's so scary. I was like, I was I terrified. Been my stomach for months at this point. Uh, I mean, me too. And of course you're doing contract negotiations. We're going to get into this a little bit later, but yeah. literally I was had to compartmentalize this because I had to focus for a really big race. And that was yeah. Madeira. All the while, while dealing with 
this, you know, this controversy in my mind of, okay, like, am I going, am I going to stay with this brand that, you know, I've had a huge history with and that's, you know, they've, I was able to like build up my ultra running career with them and, you know, would I stay or would I go? And, you know, I had to compartmentalize it because I couldn't let that enter my mind when I was racing, because then like, it would just be disastrous. Um, but I would, I was losing so much sleep. I was stressed. Um, because overall it's really hard as athletes It's because you pour your heart and soul into this. It's, you know, you have to live, breathe, eat, sleep, everything being an athlete, because that's what it takes to train at the level that, you know, we're training at, um, you know, for you to, to go under the course record at hard rock, like that is insane, right? Like the amount of hours that you have to devote to performance like that, it requires more than just, you know, a casual commitment to running. Um, and so it can be really hard when thinking about, you know, working with a, with a partner because it's not just business, it's personal. And so what really set it apart when I started these conversations with Brooks was it it felt personal even to begin with. There was trust in, you know, you know, this is the, I mean, this is pretty much public knowledge because, um, you know, it's like, you're, you're pretty like you're, you're out there in a very public facing manner as an athlete, but I wasn't wearing North face shoes because they weren't working for me. It was, Mm -hmm. they, they were hurting my feet. I couldn't run in them. And, um, the only thing that I could run in were some Brooks shoes. And, you know, it was this trust, this, you know, I want you to be running. I want you to be happy. I want you to be a healthy athlete and, you know, we can figure out the rest of it later. And that's really what I got from with people, um, you know, like Brian, and then, you know, now, um, the athlete manager that I'm working with Jordan and just, you know, and I think obviously those outwardly facing people, you don't have that opinion unless, or you don't have that basically that that overall trust and the, that feeling, right. If it's not actually backed up by the other people that work at that company. And so, um, then when things got a bit more serious, uh, you know, it just was, it was, I think it was based off of trust and honesty Mm. and, um, you know, just being straightforward with, you know, what I needed, what, you know, I saw myself where I saw myself going, um, you know, from an athletic point and a competitive point as an athlete, but also from a community aspect, you know, what I was passionate nice. about cool. outside of sport. Um, and I felt really listened to, um, and yeah, <laughs> dude, I'm so proud of you. And so well said to Hillary. And I think it, may be easy to misinterpret these posts that announce, Hey, I've got this new partner or whatever. And of course it is a beautiful life. And we feel so privileged to be able to pursue this amazing sport as professional athletes, but there's a lot more that goes into it than these Instagram posts that say, Hey, here's my new sponsor. Right. And it is freaking scary. And it's a big commitment. And like, you're letting go of the side of the swimming pool and a familiar past to do something totally new with a partner who you feel it is personal, right? It is more than holding trophies on the top of the podium. And I think that's a really intelligent thing for you to do, especially integrating your, you know, community aspect and content creation and just being more than an athlete and the ambassador for the sport that you are. And I want to talk a lot about that here in a little bit, but very well said. Um, before we move on from Brooks, I have a few more questions because I find this really interesting. And of course, runners in general know the brand Brooks. Obviously, it's one of the big US brands. And to this point, it's been mostly focused on road and track, with the exception of Scott Jurek, but I have heard, I think they've announced this publicly, that they are committed to spending equal amounts of their capital on athletes in trail as they have traditionally in road and track, which I think is an enormous validation of our sports trajectory. And I think, obviously, they recognize it's a massive opportunity for growth of their business. To this point, I know yourself, 
Cat Bradley, Mario Mendoza. I don't know if I'm missing anybody. Scott Jurek, I think, is still with the brand. Can you talk uh, at all about maybe some of the things that you guys have planned? I don't know. Uh, you're obviously just getting started now, and you may not be able to reveal too much, but I think the audience would love to hear uh, just sort of your perspective of what Brooks's intentions are within the trail category. Yeah. So, and Camila Mayfield, she's also oh, on the Camilla team as well. Mayfield, yeah, yeah. I wanted to add that. So, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil it. They've added some more people to the trail list, not okay. just me. So, <laughs> so we'll kind of, uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for that when you see these posts about now a new, a new sponsor, um, or a new partner. Um, but yeah, so I just think, Exactly what you said. So this is public knowledge, right? So, I mean, at, like Brooks has not like been absent from trail, but I think they've just been, they're now trying to shift their focus or, you know, it's kind of just like, maybe they were, they have two eyes and both of them have been on track or, or road running. And now they're kind of going to split it between trail and, and uh, the roadside of things. And so with that, um, you know, Brooks has already partnered with, you know, a big ultra race in the United States, um, the JFK 50. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're already starting. And, um, also, you know, Brooks is huge in Europe. And, um, I think, you know, the European side of, of trail racing and obviously just that, you know, that culture of trail running huge. And obviously I love to race in Europe. (laughs) Um, and so it's just, it's, it's centering around, you know, community events for the team, like showing up at, you know, big events, obviously to throw down as, as Brooks athletes, but, you know, also to, to show up and, you know, be just a, uh, you know, a, an example to the, to the trail community in general. And I think that's showing up at big races, you know, like UTMB. And I think we're going to see some cool partnerships with other races, um, you know, in the coming years, trail races in the coming years with Brooks. Um, and I only hope to be a part of that, of, you know, picking different community events that are important, you know, yeah. outside of just these big heavy hitters, like, you know, Western States, um, you know, maybe being at the, the gorge race, like that. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've got a sponsor, unfortunately. <laughs> I know, but, no, no. but even like the athletes just showing up there because it's, it, it's an important race in the community. So, you know, then you'll see people from, from, you know, all every team there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, I think it's really, uh, like I said, a a validation of the trajectory of our sport to see a brand like Brooks come in. And I wondered if you could also share, uh, well, actually, I guess I'll share, you know, beyond yourself, I was sort of talking to a lot of different athletes as the contract cycle was going on at the end of the year. And, sort of advising some of the younger people and everybody I talked to, I was sort of like pushing towards Brooks. Like I've heard these guys are investing in the sport right now. And I feel like it's really a good place to be uh, given the fact that they have outwardly made this commitment to, to the sport and have obviously recognized the potential opportunity for them to have a a big impact in it. And obviously from a brand perspective, they've got to think about selling product, right? And you've talked about the footwear uh, that they have, which seems to be really great, especially for a world-class athlete like yourself. That's a major piece of equipment. Um, Are you going to be sort of collaborating with them to build out any other products, apparel, packs, things like that? I know that's it seems a, like, cause that's one of the reasons why I thought it was a great opportunity for younger athletes or people like yourself to, to connect with a brand like Brooks, because obviously the brand is already established. Right. But then a person like you who knows the sport of trail running intimately could come into an established brand who is already in a healthy position, making that assumption and being able to contribute a real value to an established brand by bringing both your personality, your personal uh, relationships and your knowledge of the sport specifically. And that being applied, not only to the community aspect of the sport, but also to their product. Is there anything there that you guys are talking about here in the early days of your partnership? Yeah. So I think, like you said, it's a very important, you know, thing to consider, especially in trail. Cause right. There's some, there's some niche areas that have to be, um, worked out. Right. And especially, so 
the one thing I would say is it's weird because of, you know, being in a certain sponsor's apparel for so long and then actually trying on other clothes. And I'm like, Hey, these are great. Like, <laughs> so obviously that's, you know, know they're run yeah. specialties. So it's like, Oh, like they thought about this detail, like, wow. Okay. So, you know, things like that, but also for, you know, a trail and mountain running, there's different things that we need, right. We need some really weatherproof, uh, pieces of equipment. And I know one of those that you're super passionate about, um, are packs. Right. And, and so I think, you know, these are conversations that I've, I've had with the people at Brooks and that they're already, they're already thinking about it. You know, they're already saying, okay, like, yeah, we will have a UTMB specific kit or like a kit that's specific for mountain races that you might need. That's not going to be available because like, they're going to be custom for the athlete, but they're, they're already thinking about that. And we're already having those conversations. And so I think that there's only a matter of time before that's integrated into just general line of, you know, like a trail line for Brooks. Um, and, you know, speaking with, uh, you know, for certain packs, like they, they're actually partnering with, you know, a certain company as they are working on, you know, their own, um, you know, and so it's, it's, it's things like this that I think, you know, they're already one step ahead. <laughs> That's great. So cool. Well, I think it'll be a great next step for you, not only as an athlete to have a great partner, who's going to support you financially and to, and with great product and to help you chase these big dreams that you have. But also I think you're just going to be able to bring an immense amount of value to them, given your knowledge and experience and relationships and trail running as they try and make a big splash in our sport. So congratulations, Hillary. It's really cool. And I'm really happy you would allow me to help you make this announcement here. I wanted to sort of transition to something that you and I were talking about before we hit record. And that is just like the current dynamic of being a professional athlete in the outdoor space. And I think it's a pretty exciting time specifically for trail runners right now, because athletes, I think have finally gained the higher ground in a lot of these contract negotiations where an athlete of your level is able to sort of approach multiple different companies and you don't have to necessarily settle for something that's below your worth just to chase the dream of being a pro athlete in this amazing sport. And I think that you do an amazing job of sort of exemplifying the model of how to be a pro athlete in the 21st century, but it's not always easy. Right. But I think you do a great job of sort of conducting your career. Obviously you've got a podcast, you published a book, you are a coach, you're a pro athlete. I don't know what I'm missing there. You have a newsletter, Um, but maybe talk a little bit, provide a little bit of a commentary about how you piece everything together as a pro athlete and how each of those different things add up to the hilly goat that we all know and love. Oh, well, thank you. Because honestly, it's, it's a lot harder than I ever thought. Um, in many days it can feel like a balancing act. Um, but really the one question that I start with and the one thing that I ask myself is what is a priority to me? And I love writing. Um, I, I love to write even before I wrote my book. Um, but I, I prioritize my day with to-do lists because I, because I don't have a typical nine to five job where someone else is, you know, giving me tasks to do. I am responsible for my own schedule and I am responsible for getting the things done that are the most important to me and that are the most important, you know, for, for others, you know, for me, for the work that I need to do for others. And so, you know, it's a lot of, it's a huge amount of responsibility, but you know, it's, it's also very rewarding and it takes a lot of work to continue to balance it. So I start by that question is asking about, you know, prioritizing things. And for me, always at the top of that list is, okay, how can I be the best athlete? Because those are the days that I want to capitalize on now, because Mm. I am focusing on competition and I want to, you know, squeeze the, 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 the best athletic days that I have right now. And yes, I believe, you know, my best athletic days are always ahead of me, but that means that I want to, I want to make the most out of them now. Um, and I'm really passionate about running really far distances right now. So like, let's do it. Um, and so that's the one thing and it's, and it takes a lot of time. Um, but then it's also, you know, for me, 
even though I'm a full-time, you know, professional athlete, what makes me feel the most whole is being balanced. And I found this out maybe the hard way that if I start to, if I'm on a teeter totter and one side of it starts to get a little bit too heavy, skew too much towards athletics, things start to feel out of balance. And I know that I perform at my best when I'm not just focused on training all the time. And for me, the other huge priority in my life is community and how I feed that community part is coaching. I get to help other people reach their goals. And that helps me to be more balanced. It helps me to read, you know, these scientific studies, these papers, these articles. It helps me to, you know, get out of someone else's head. Um, I'm also a scientist. So that side of me is also fed by the coaching aspect. You know, neuroscience is a huge, uh, you know, it's my master's degree, but also, you know, the psychological aspect of coaching. And that's a huge part where I can feel very fulfilled. Um, you know, that part of, you know, you know, doing just a like lot helping of time. people believe in themselves and things like that. Yeah. And wow. that, that's, it's so like, that's kind of in a nutshell, the reason why I wrote my book is yeah. because I wanted to show that it was possible, like what self-belief and what resilience looked like. And, you know, the strength that everyone I think possesses, um, you just have to kind of dig a little bit to find it within yourself, but it's there. And so, you know, feeding those other parts of me are really important. And that I think fits into this box of community. Um, And, but those take up a lot of time and, you know, the podcast falls into that. So trail society, it's, 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 I think this resource that, you know, Keely and Corinne and I are, you know, helping other women, you know, to talk about contracts, to talk about how they train differently. And then, you know, also just other, just community aspects in general in the sport of, you know, endurance sports, but also specific to trail running. Um, but I mean, it's a lot, I think yeah, it is. with all the yeah. jobs I have, it's like more than a full-time job, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never been busier in my entire life. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think it's important for younger athletes to think about this, right. That the performance thing should be the core of, your personal priorities if you're trying to be a pro athlete, but Mm -hmm. really there's so much more that goes into making a career out of this than Mm -hmm. winning or being on the podium at big races. And so people should follow your example, right? Do things that do engage the community, start a podcast, write a book, write a newsletter, just do something to sort of help, yeah, help other people sort of feel the same sort of spirit and the same fulfillment and satisfaction from challenging themselves that you and I, uh, have both, you know, so found so much value in our lives through Mm -hmm. doing the same thing. You were just sort of mentioning something before we hit record about an article that Sabrina Little wrote, um, that's sort of on this topic as well. Do you want to talk about that briefly before we move on a little bit? And I don't, I'm not going to quote it exactly. Um, but I just really appreciated her perspective. It's this, um, so, you know, with all of this stuff that I've talked about, um, a necessary evil, I'd like to say, uh, for, you know, promoting an athlete and, uh, their success is social media, right? You know, you have these big wins or these big performances or, you know, a big platform, right? And so social media is that platform and it's, you're able to kind of spread the word of trail running, hopefully encourage more people to get into that, but also, you know, capitalize on the, you know, the successes and the the competitions that you yourself as an athlete, you know, work so hard to, you know, to do. Um, but it kind of, it's sometimes I think, again, looking at that teeter totter, sometimes the balance can be skewed. And instead of focusing on that core, like you mentioned, Dylan, of the performance and, you know, getting the most out of yourself and having those breakout performances and those results, right? Like, cause that's what sets us apart. And anymore, I think sometimes this outward pressure or this outward appearance on social media can almost take precedent or Mm. be, you know, valued preferentially to results. And I think, um, some of what Sabrina was saying in her article, it was kind of pointed at that is that social media can kind of be this, you know, where 
it, it's it's almost this encouraging factor of that this external validation if you if you you know like and you get all these impressions from you know the content that you're putting out there that matters more than kind of I see it as the integrity of sport and yeah. the integrity of professional sport which is performance at its core. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just comes down to authenticity, sincerity in what you share. And I think that's one of the reasons why people are so drawn to you is the fact that, you know, obviously we all know you've been through hell in your career, right. And you haven't been afraid to document it. In fact, you wrote a whole book about it, but that's what humanizes a person like you who goes and smashes and wins Madeira, one of the most important races in Europe and the most important races in the world. And that story of triumph after total devastation and near death experience makes you relatable. And so I think it's a good lesson to the next generation of athletes. Actually, I also wanted to ask you about Pinarello too, while we're on the subject of you being a, uh, a model of professional athletes in our sport. I think you've been really intelligent in your recovery from injury and using the bicycle. And you shared a lot about the competitions that you go do these gravel rides and things like that. And I know you recently announced a, a partnership with with Pinarello, one of the coolest bike brands in the world. And I think this fits into our conversation of being a 21st century professional athlete. What can you say about that partnership? How did that come about? So never in a million years, right? Like I think, you know, I was forced to embrace cycling and what's so cool about it is that instead of viewing it as a consolation prize for not being able to run, I genuinely love riding my bike. And I think it just kind of goes to the authenticity. I genuinely love it. And so I found a way to work it in regardless of if my sponsor, you know, really wanted me to or not. I was like, well, I'm going to do these gravel bike races because I love them. And I love the community, you know, in addition to these running races that I'm doing. And I think, honestly, Pinarello, they reached out to me and I, you know, I never in a million years, cause obviously my priority has been running. Like I want to, I want to do gravel bike, you know, gravel cycling in these races because I love, I'm just going to do it anyways. Um, and so it's really cool then to be a part of the team, um, the Pinarello team, because there's some, there's some heavy hitters on it. And, this is, this is hilarious because hopefully people are like, you know, wiping off the sweat from their foreheads. If they thought that I had given up running and was yeah. not professional cyclist. No, no, no. Um, I will just do this on, uh, obviously, a, like, a, you know, a community. It's more and like an ambassadorship. Exactly. It's not like you're a pro cyclist. Yeah. No, because I do not know how to race a bike. I just yeah. know how to suffer and go a super long distance. Um, but... I think it's brilliant from a sports marketing perspective for them. I know they yeah. also signed some sort of relationship with Johnny Collinson, who exactly. is a professional skier and mm-hmm. absolute monster in the gym. And <laughs> exactly. But he rides a bike too. And But yeah. forming these relationships with athletes outside of core endemic cycling universe, but who have... Mm a lot of credibility and who have good reputations within their own sporting circles, like yourself and Johnny Collins. And I think it's a great move for Pinarello. You got to hook your boy up with a, with like an employee discount. I know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They are for your premier bikes. But I think the one thing that, I mean, I want to say too, about, about, you know, me as an athlete, as a, you know, an athlete, I say getting into cycling and this is something my coach taught me. He says, Hill, you are, he actually calls me goat. He's the only one that calls me that. <laughs> he says, <laughs> he says, goat, you're an athlete. He's like, don't, don't, don't limit yourself by just calling yourself a runner. You're an athlete. Sweet. And that's what he encouraged in me. And, you know, he, like, if I look at my training schedule, the like he's the first one that's going to put on my training schedule, uh, super long. So this is biking from Boulder to uh, Long's Peak Trailhead, doing the peak and cycling back. That's my long endurance day, not just some long run. Like, so Adam has got my back and he's helped me to embrace this athlete side of me. And that is, I think, what's opened the doors for, you know, this partnership with Pinarello, which I'm incredibly excited about. Wow. What a great mental unlock that is. What great coaching from Adam St. Pierre. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. Gnarly is an awesome sports nutrition company based in Utah that specifically focuses on us 
the outdoor and mountain sport athletes of the world and OMG are their products amazing. I've been using the Fuel 2.0 drink mix for the past six months and have been blown away by the product for long runs, workouts, and race fueling. The cherry cola flavor of the Fuel 2.0 mix is especially delicious. You'll never have to resort to Coca-Cola with this magical elixir in your bottles. And that is just one product amid an insanely robust collection and nearly all their products are NSF certified for sport. It's an incredibly valuable investment that they've made to enhance their brand's product and their brand's reputation, something I certainly very much value as an athlete. Go check out Gnarly. The whole product offering is at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. gonarly.com, FREETRAIL15. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by the Free Trail mobile app. Come for the training, stay for the community. Free Trail, of course, was the first mobile app made specifically for trail runners with a ton of resources to help you approach our great sport with a little bit more knowledge and support along the way. I just put up a six-week off-season training plan, which is great for this time of the year, the same sort of training that I'm going to be doing over the next six weeks. So come check it out. Membership is only $120 a year, the equivalent of $10 a month. And that includes access to our weekly Zoom calls and other perks to be rolled out in the near future. The subscribers that make up our community also make our whole business operational and we appreciate them so, so much. So please go visit freetrail.com. Hit the button that says download the app and come celebrate trail culture with our great community. So in this vein, let's transition to Madeira. Now we've talked enough about sponsors and being a pro athlete and stuff. And now let's celebrate some of your amazing accomplishments. But I wanted to start with Adam St. Pierre, because on the most recent episode of Trail Society, I think you were talking about a conversation that you guys had, Adam, of course, being your coach, as you just mentioned, in your lead up to Madeira, where he was showing you your training and saying, goat, you're ready, right? So talk about your preparation for Madeira, where, of course, you won, and we'll talk about the race itself. But talk first about your preparation and the lead up to it this summer and fall, and maybe anything specific that you and Adam were working on that you think really paid off on the Island. Yeah. So first and foremost, you know, I can get in my own head. So I need someone like Adam to, you know, to tell me when to pick it up, when to slow down, when, you know, when to hold back and when to just like basically tell me to shut up and just go and run. Um, but the the main thing is my year was not straightforward. I had broken my foot and that required surgery in, you know, in April, actually right when my book was being published. Right. So it was not a typical year. Um, and so I really did not know what my summer looked like, but, you know, as I, as I recovered um, again, I, I turned to the bike and Adam really helped me embrace that. We got like really fit. I'm one of those weird people that likes to do, um, bike trainer workouts. And this is also a shout out to one of my sponsors, my sponsor, Saris, they make bike racks and and trainers. And like, I have one in my living room. Like it's the, like when it was first, when I could start weight bearing after uh, I broke my foot, that was the first thing I hopped on was my trainer. (laughs) Um, and so we really, I mean, I was at the start line of UTMB. I mean, we talked about that. I didn't have, you know, the best performance there. I had to drop out. And that was because, I, my foot wasn't ready. And I think it was mental as well as physical. Um, but like throughout it all, you know, Adam, he didn't, he didn't lose hope. And I think that's one of the most important things about a coach is that he knew I was ready. He, I just had to start believing it. And I think, um, really the, the, the biggest thing for me was just embracing that, I had to go step-by-step with returning to running. I can't train like everyone else because of my injury history. Mm. And that's also, that's okay. And so I've really, I mean, it's hard to gain that confidence in yourself, isn't it? 
I mean, it's incredibly hard. I mean, I remember you watching me at TDS and, you know, I was using polls on the ascents as well as the descents. And, you know, that's because it's taken me four and a half years to get comfortable, you know, running on technical steep descents, um, from, you know, since this, this accident and, um, Adam, I think he said to me, he's like, this is going to be the summer of the bike. We're going to do, you know, and it was so cool because I was able to do some of the most unique training that I have ever done in my athletic career and it worked. And so I think that that is like, I went on a bike packing, you know, trip for a week where I was mountain biking for the first time, 250 miles. And then I was running six 14ers along the, the loop on So it's like, <laughs> yeah you know, and, and stuff like this. And it made me so ready to, it made, and I think physically it made me ready, but you know, mentally it made me ready because it taught me that I could, that there are many ways to quote unquote skin a cat, but there's many ways to get fit for ultra distance marathons and, you know, find the way that works best for you. And it was really encouraging because it just gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, because I really only had about 10 weeks of focus training Yeah. of, you know, the traditional, you know, two workouts a week in a long run, yeah. because that, you know, that's, um, that's not my running. That's not my background. Yeah. I came from tennis. So like running workouts are still foreign to me, but, you know, knowing that, okay, that worked for me and, you know, then a taper. And, uh, so then when, it, when I went to Madeira about two weeks before the race, I did a soft mute. So I did the course in about four to five days. I love doing that. And then, smart. and then smart. I, yeah, then I tapered, just put my, my feet up. I actually brought my bike with me to Madeira and, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was really cool because I felt, I feel like I'm my own science experiment and, um, That's you know, so cool. I, finding out what works and what doesn't. You brought your bike to Madeira too. That's so funny. And I can't, I can't go anywhere without it now. And it was like literally the steepest. It's so inconvenient though. <laughs> oh, but it was great. It was totally worth it. Cause yeah. then you could just do a different. Go explore the island. Yeah, yeah. And like at a different pace, it was really cool. cool. And I will yeah. say it's like, it was the steepest. Um, I actually had to get off my bike and walk up a paved road. Cause it was yeah. that steep. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. I want to go there. I'm thinking about maybe jumping into that race this, this spring. We'll see. But I loved how you said, you know, about this belief thing and how Adam sort of has believed in you and believed that this non-traditional modality of training that implements the bike, um, you know, it sort of trickles down. It feels like, cause you mentioned earlier about how one of your favorite parts of being a coach is sort of encouraging that self-belief in your athletes too. And then I loved also what you said about being an athlete, what a cool mental unlock that is for people mm-hmm. who are listening. Right. And if we think about the great athletes in our sport beyond yourself, you know, obviously Killian is like the most multi-dimensional professional athlete there is mm-hmm. probably one of the probably the greatest athlete of all time, you know, as a runner, as an alpinist, as a ski mountaineer, he can run a fast, flat half marathon. He could probably like win the tour de France if he really tried. (laughs) And similarly like, you know, Francois Dane does the same thing and Emily Forsberg. And it is, I think a freeing psychological trick maybe when we feel like, Oh, I'm not getting enough miles in Mm -hmm. to just be an athlete, right? Just Mm -hmm. do what you can get in the gym, put your bike in your living room and hammer out some intervals if you need to just be an athlete. I love that. So let's talk about the race itself. Um, man, you smashed it and you led from the beginning. I feel like walk us through it. I know that's not necessarily your traditional style to kind of go out front from the beginning. Talk about how the race played out and ultimately what you think contributed to a phenomenal victory. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, I don't typically go out from the start from the gun. I like to kind of ease things in and well, you know, quote unquote, ease things in, put myself in a good position then to, you know, like attack later on. And Madeira is actually a perfect course for that because it's really burly. Um, you know, you start with every climb is a vertical K, uh, as well, you know, followed by a technical vertical descent. 
And so then, you know, by mile 40, when you have about like 35 to go, um, you know, you've already climbed the majority of the course and you still have lots to go. So that would be the time to kind of like pick up, you know, yeah. the, the broken pieces of the, your competition. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I just felt ready and I wanted Did you have that feeling before the race. See, this yeah. is, I think a fun thing to talk about too, right? Because like, I know when I'm ready, right? Did you feel that way before Madeira? You know, because you were with me at Hard Rock, and like you could probably tell that I was just like relaxed and excited to do it. Is that see, sort of how you felt? This is it. So, like, yeah. of course, like the day, like for me, the worst part of the taper is about maybe like four days, three days before. But then, as soon as it gets closer to the race, I'm I'm relaxed. Like I know I've done the work, and like the nervous energy, I'm just like, okay, like I'm waiting. And this race is it started at midnight. And I was just like going through the motion, just like really, like really calm as it came closer. And that is that feeling that I know I'm just like, all right, like I can, I'm just going to go and throw down. Like literally for me, always my mentality, because I feel lucky to even race and, and train just based on what I've, what I've been through. So if I can get to a start line healthy, like game on, man. Like I'm, I'm so happy. Like any problem that's thrown my way, like, let's go. Like, you know, the Madeira could have gone, you know, horrible. And, you know, I still, I still would talk about it with fondness because like you learn from those things, but also it's like, like you work so hard to get to a start line, like, you know, win, lose or draw, like it's a great experience. And so if winning doesn't happen very often yeah. and it's very hard to do, but it just felt like a special day. And so when I started running and I was like, I knew exactly what I was in for, I decided to, you know, just like, just go out at my pace. And literally I wasn't even really thinking about leading. I just wanted to go out at a pace that I knew was comfortable and that I could hold. Um, and it just so happened that I, was ahead of everyone. <laughs> but then of course that's like, that's scary though, because, you know, I think anyone else who knows me and my racing style, they're just kind of like, well, you know, Hillary would usually be one that I don't want behind me because she's yeah. like, you know, normally I'm stronger in the second half. But so I think maybe people expected me to fade, but it was really motivating to feel like I had a target on my back. And it was just for me, not, not racing scared, you know, like don't, don't think of like a target on your back as a negative thing. But for me, it was a point where I could focus mm -hmm. to be like, okay, what do you need to do in this moment to take care of yourself? Um, do, am I eating enough? Like just staying on top of my current present moment and being in the race, but that's exhausting. Cause it was like 17 hours of, of, yeah. of that on repeat. <laughs> yeah. So was there any drama? I mean, you mentioned that it felt like a special day and obviously it's 115 kilometer traverse of a gnarly <laughs> Atlantic <laughs> Island. Uh, mm -hmm. Was there any drama or was it just pure focus and execution the whole way? Oh, there's plenty of drama. Like, uh, I mean there, I was surprised. I mean, every time I had, you know, been up on the high peaks, it was some sort of, you know, not the best, not like perfect Island weather. It was pretty darn cold. And so actually, um, when we reached the high point, the two highest points of the race, there was actually ice on the trail and on the ground. Um, and so it was pretty cold. Um, I managed to stay warm enough, but like, I think actually my legs started cramping later in the race because they got so cold in the middle of the night because I was drenched in sweat. It's very humid. And my shorts were plastered against my legs, but they were like freezing cold. And so, um, you know, that's always hard to, to stay warm. Um, I actually changed um, layers, uh, like changed my shirt to three different times because, but I felt that that was absolutely necessary, um, because I didn't want to risk, you know, getting cold in the, in the night, um, when it was already, you know, pretty, you know, you're starting like running pretty much half of the race or a long portion of it in the dark and, and some cold hours. Um, and for me, um, you know, I practiced my race nutrition in all of my long runs. I had it dialed. Um, but of course there's some, 
just some stomach, just yeah. restlessness. Like you're not used to eating all night. And for, for me, the most part, I mean, being cold and maybe having a grumbly stomach. I mean, if that's the worst thing that happens, you know? it's a, it's a massive success. isn't it? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, but just like that stuff. And I think, like you said, it's like normal race stuff. There wasn't anything like, Oh shit, like stuff that hit the fan, but yeah. it was just, you know, it's, it's constant problem solving. Things aren't going perfect. And I think, you know, my stomach stayed, um, but, and of course there's a couple of like, you know, puke fests on the side of the trail and then just, you keep Actually, going, Come on, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but I think with that, it's just, it's just like a matter of staying focused. Like, you yeah. know, it's like no race goes perfectly. It's just how you problem solve through the, those moments that can make a perfect race. Isn't that so true, man? It's just all about having poise in those difficult moments, isn't it? And not mm-hmm. panicking. So Speaking of panicking, for someone like you, I think it would just be so easy to be consumed with fear, right? Because like you've been through hell in your career, as we talked about in our first podcast episode, whatever it was, two years ago. And I'm curious if you still like battle demons as it pertains to your history with injury and if so, assuming you still do, what was it feeling like to cross the finish line at Madeira? You won by 40 minutes. Like it was a super convincing victory. So meditate on that for me, how far you've come and uh, sort of what the feeling is like to be back at the top of the sport. You know, sometimes it can bring a lot of sadness because when I'm on the start line and I look to my left and I look to my right, I know with 100% certainty that no one has the injury history that I do. And I also know that no one trains like I do. So if though, if I let meaning in the non-traditional style in the non-traditional style, I'm not a runner who can bang out hundred mile weeks day in day out week, like week after week, I can't do it. And, you know, if, if I think about that and I, and I used to let it, get in my own, get get in my way and get in my head in a negative way. But, you know, and of course it can be discouraging because I'm like, well, I feel like, you know, I'm at the start line, but maybe, you know, starting like, like back behind my competition, because I feel like I have these, these setbacks and these obstacles to kind of jump through to, to get to like status quo. Right. But you're at a disadvantage. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully I'm, I'm hoping that's not coming across as, you know, entitled or, um, insensitive, but it's just, it's, it's how I feel with, you know, some of the things that I've had to overcome and, you know, continue to have to overcome on a daily basis, just to continue like training and working towards these, these goals and aspirations that I have. Um, but I think, you know, every time I let those thoughts creep in because they do come in quite frequently, And I would describe that as fear, right? Fear of getting injured again, or, you know, fear that I now have these limitations um, because of one moment that I couldn't control. And, you know, that's this one moment that's now dictating my present and will forever dictate my future. But instead of letting it kind of turn this negative corner and, you know, let myself, you know, be caught up in this whirlwind which, you know, sometimes I I do get caught up in it. I try to put a positive spin on it. And I really do truly believe that all of these things have made me stronger. And that if I haven't had the experiences that I've had, I wouldn't know what true strength and resilience and grit that I have. And that's something that I can put in my pocket and tuck away on race day that I know none of my competition has. Oh my God, Hilly, you're going to make me cry. That was so beautiful. Poetry. (laughs) Well, congratulations. What an awesome victory, especially after disappointment at UTMB that you described. Yeah. Um, And the way that you were training and just like having the courage to keep chasing these dreams in a way that other athletes aren't necessarily. It actually reminds me too, when I had Anton Kropichka on the pod right after Leadville, you know, the crux of his training block leading into that race was like a three week 
tour around the American West on his bike where he did like six runs for three weeks or something like that. And just did the rest on these massive bike days. So I think it is a good lesson for our listeners. So that's great, Hilly. So let's uh, finish up by just talking about what's ahead for you. I know uh, I've taken a peek at the elite entrance list for UTMB next year. I noticed a certain someone's name written on it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after winning Madeira and finishing second at TDS a few years ago, obviously I'm sure UTMB is probably at the top of your objective list for next year, as it is for every professional athlete on that start list. So talk about uh, how you're approaching 2022 and specifically how you're thinking about UTMB. Yeah. So I'm glad you noticed. Cause yes, I am. I did sign up. Uh, I, I mean, having lived in France, I feel like, you know, it's almost like a mini homecoming going there again. So I'm excited to, to see what I can throw down around, you know, on that beautiful course around, you know, make the loop. Um, but for me, it's again, focusing on, you know, cross training and being an athlete and doing things that really make me happy. So right now that's, you know, I'm running, but I'm also skiing and I'm cycling a lot. Um, I, I have a lot of gravel races on the calendar this year. A lot of so I'm going to do Rasputitsa. It's a gravel race. It's a spring classic race in Vermont. Um, it's known as uh, being very muddy and icy. Uh, so, you know, trying my bike handling skills there, uh, something that I've never done before. So it should be fun. Um, and unbound gravel, the 200, um, you know, that was my very first race. Uh, That's sort of bike. become the UTMB of gravel, hasn't it? Oh, it's like yeah. by far, like such a premiere, like it's like the event to do. It's like the 200 mile is the event to do. So everyone wants in. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm know, doing what just, just to interrupt you quickly. Cause I think yeah. this, you could provide a fun perspective on this for a trail running audience because, you know, obviously trail running has exploded in popularity in the last decade since you and I've been in the sport, but maybe the other or another sport that has also just absolutely experienced this massive growth uh period is gravel cycling so what is the what's so appealing about that sport specifically what's the culture like mm-hmm. and what about it makes it so attractive to you in particular and is there any overlap between the communities between gravel and trail runner 100%. This is why I love it so much. So, I mean, you love trail culture. I love trail culture. Trail culture. And, <laughs> and I think gravel cycling is like trail culture. It's like the ultra running world because you get to line up with your heroes, right? These, you know, like Pete Stedna, like Ted King, these, you know, these people who are giants on the pro tour and now they're racing gravel bikes and you're on the same start line as them. And you're going to kind of be in the same corral, um, you know, meet these different elite, uh, elite cyclists. Um, and so, you know, the UTMB, right? Like the UTMB series, you'll have, you know, a couple thousand people in these races. It's the same for a race like unbound. Um, you know, you have, you have so many people trying to get into this race and, you know, lining up. Um, and so I think it's just, it's like grassroots, you know, unbound is in Emporia, Kansas. And like the town comes alive because, you know, the, the gravel bike community makes, makes it happen. And so this, to me, it it reminds me of Leadville, right? Like the Leadville 100. And I just, I think, you know, because people like to be out there, they like to suffer. They like to go off road, not just being stuck to the trails, sorry, to the, to the roads. They want to go, you know, climb and, you know, go these different places. And so, um, I think it's really cool and it just feels more relaxed and, you know, half the people out there like, you know, mullets and wearing jorts. And it sort of gave the whole bike industry a second wind too. I know that the the industry was kind of stagnating before Mm -hmm. this explosion of popularity with gravel. So I I cut you off. I want to hear more about your, uh, your calendar for the year, because now I'm going to have to, you know, pressure you into coming to run the gorge waterfalls hundred (laughs) K I texted about a couple of days ago. Well, this might be a good time to announce it. Let's freaking gorge. Gorge baby. All right. Uh, I'm going to come. So I'm committed. Yes. Are you serious? <laughs> okay. We're going to yeah. have a conversation uh, offline about this, but okay. Exactly. That's awesome. We can't <laughs> wait to have you. All right. Let's plan the trail society 
taping live taping in front of a studio audience uh, love it oh man that's gonna be great but yeah so again i cannot resist so this is actually gonna be my first running race of the season um april 2nd see you there um because you know i mean it's it's a different race for me it's you know more runnable but i think it's like a sneaky hard course um so yeah hopefully my grid will get to shine a little bit there and um, for me, I'm not, you know, stressing about doing big miles and training. Like I want it to be like a nice spring, you know, long effort and run, um, you know, still peaking for UTMB. Um, I've also put my name in for, um, the San Juan solstice, the lottery. So I kind of can see if I'll get into that early February, once they announce it, um, that's a bucket list race. I mean, having grown up in Colorado, San Juan solstice is a race I've always wanted Same to geez. do. Yeah. When I was coming up in the sport, it was like Matt Carpenter had smashed it. Kyle Skaggs has smashed it. Dakota Jones has smashed it. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to do it and never got around to it either. For those who are listening, it's a race in Lake city, Colorado. They call it sort of like mini hard rock, 50 mile race in the San Juans. That's awesome. What a Dylan, great, just, yeah. you know, enter the lottery. It is still open. You can do it <laughs> too. I, yeah. It could be the year. Yeah. You're putting me on the spot on my All own right, podcast. Let's do it. I'll follow up with you about this later. Um, but then, uh, yeah, then I'm, I've always wanted to do uh, the Sierra high route. Um, so maybe this is the year fingers crossed and, um, hopefully a little project scheming with some Brooks people. Uh, but, uh, and Aww. then, you know, UTMB and then, um, some more kind of gravel events after that, like big sugar, um, Dude, what an awesome calendar. Yeah. And obviously fitting in all the adventure that I can, you know, in in between all those things, because I, that's my favorite way to train is some big adventures. Yeah, no doubt. Well, what a fun conversation, man. I'm so proud of you, Hilly. Thank you so much for coming on the show and and entrusting me with uh, the opportunity to help you make an announcement. And uh, yeah, I just have a lot of respect and admiration and love for you. And uh, I'm so proud of what you guys have built with trail society too. It's you know, my favorite podcast out there. For those who are listening, you got to go smash that subscribe button, listen to the archive. New episode comes out every other Tuesday, but, um, yeah, man, well, you and I are always in touch, but it's always fun to sit down and chat in depth. And especially in this recorded context, I'm glad we captured it and I can't wait to share it. Oh, same here, Dylan. And really, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm so happy you can help me spread the news and, you know, on the bigger scale of trail culture and what we're doing together with Run Free Trail. So for the culture. Okay, that's it. What'd you guys think? I hope it was helpful or illuminating at least as to what athletes are considering when it comes to aligning with partners. Thank you so much to Hillary for being willing to talk about these things openly. It's always great to connect with her. If you don't already, go follow Hillary on Instagram. I've got a link to her profile in the show notes. I also link to her book, Out and Back, which was released last year. It is an amazing read. I would absolutely recommend it about her life, about overcoming adversity, and generally about how we can all believe our best days are ahead of us, even in the darkest of times. Hillary is an inspiration. If you enjoyed this episode, we would very much appreciate it if you shared it with your friends on social media. Send me a DM. Let me know what resonated. Always love hearing from you guys. And also, if you don't mind, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. All those things are very helpful and we would certainly appreciate it. But that is it for now. Thank you guys so much for listening. As I always say, I love you dearly. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.